0: Welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Daddon,
1: And we hope you are all having a fabulous Monday. I for one am because tomorrow I'm heading off to Byron Bay for a whole month. Mmm, I am so jealous. Oh, and I do not even have time to come and visit you. What? Not at all. I don't think so. Okay, well, maybe we can make like a weekend or something happen. I think everybody I've told that I'm doing this. So I'm going to go and work from Byron for a whole month. I just felt like I needed to get out of Melbourne And carrying on with this like wellness vibe. I'm going to get myself some acupuncture, try some meditation out in Byron. And literally everybody I've told in Melbourne is like, oh my God, I've got these three days. Could I come with you? And so like, I feel like I (laughs) thought I was going to be alone, but I'm just going to have like a rotating door of people visiting from Melbourne. (laughs) That's hilarious. It's like
0: when people we know move to New York and they're like, they've been gone for six months that they feel like they're home because people
1: keep visiting them. Yeah, exactly. So I think I'm going to have to have like a few blockout dates just to make sure I do get some like alone time. Good call. Because that is the purpose that you're going. Yeah. Uh, So
0: today on the podcast, wow, are we lucky. We have one of, honestly, one of the most incredible people we've ever had the privilege of meeting, Jamila Rizvi. Um, So we actually met her when we were on a panel for Kiki K for International Women's Day earlier this year. And she just totally blew us away. And I remember in that moment, we said, we have to have her on the podcast, So Jamila is an author, presenter, and political commentator. She's published two books, Not Just Lucky and The Motherhood. You've probably seen her on Instagram or on TV. She's always passionately discussing women's rights, which is obviously why we love her. And she's also totally open and honest about her health journey, dealing with a brain tumor, and standing up for the things that she believes in.
1: So in this interview, we chatted about why women feel competitive with other women. Why her son is taking ballet classes, very intriguing. how to handle when you have a different opinion to someone. And we also chatted a whole lot about Harry Potter. What? Isn't that what you want from your podcast episode?
0: Stick around till the end to hear which guests we're having on next week.
1: Oh, they're a duo. Ooh, another and, duo and awesome duo. And we hope you have so much fun listening to our chat with Jamila. Here it is! <laughs> We're
2: gonna make it loud, we're gonna take it high,
1: we're gonna show them how to live. How to live. Um, so we will when we were looking you up before, um, we were laughing that like, you know, in people's like Insta and Facebook bios, they have like all their accomplishments and their awards and like it's all very serious and you just have without Hermione, Harry dies in book one.
2: Yeah, that's right. So good. I love that. <laughs> well, it's true, right? And I'm you know smack bang in the middle of the Harry Potter generation and grew up with, you know, fierce love of Hermione and wanting to be Hermione and with better hair. Well, she, yeah, gets better she gets hair, later. She, better yeah, hair. Yeah. She, she does. gets she has hair. good hair now. I feel like she overcomes
1: a lot. A lot of tribulations, including the very frizzy big hair. It's true. Maybe it was a metaphor. J.K. Rowling, she's so clever. She
2: triumphs on all counts. To be fair,
1: Harry and Ron also have bad hair. That's true. And Harry has ugly glasses. So So it's just not very good. She's
2: definitely the best character. Also, I read this really... I can't believe we're getting into Harry Potter analysis. I'm such a nerd. (laughs) Absolutely. But I read this really interesting take on Harry Potter, right? And how Hermione is portrayed as just awful in the first book. And the way they described it was, well, the books are told from Harry's perspective, right? And he's an 11-year-old boy. And 11-year-old boys Mm. do see people in a particular way. And he went, oh, look at the hair and she's nerdy and weird and bossy. And really, that was because he was a kid and that was his perception of what was just a strong, kick-ass woman. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And as he grows, yeah, her beauty
1: grows as well. And
2: he realises without her... He'd be dead. Um. So we
0: were lucky enough to actually be on a panel with you. Um. Was that when was and that? Was early, March earlier I this year. Yes. Yeah, earlier this year, and we were just like absolutely in awe of you, blown away by you. Like oh,
1: vice versa.
0: No, honestly. Um,
1: and so, it was
2: International Women's Day. We were saying, which is like you've described as your Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a very intense day. Yeah, because I, I do a lot of public speaking and things like that, and bookings are. Very busy at some times of the year, and then you know, in December and January, when no one holds a conference, I am very poor. Mm. But well rested, <laughs> yeah. That's but then <laughs> come literally. March,
0: you are back on exactly. and like just going. I think like it was breakfast. You had already been at something in the morning. You had like another eight things on that day. You had outfit changes, and we yeah, were just like,
1: oh, this is our whole day right here.
0: <laughs> so you are like an absolutely fierce feminist, and you just have so so much knowledge to share. And initially, when we started talking about, it, we're like. Why is Jamila the way she is? Like what what happened in like those early years that like made you like that set you on this path? You know,
2: I don't know if there's anything so much in early years. I was a pretty ordinary happy kid. You know how everyone has those stories of of their childhood or their school and it's like their origin story like a superhero and it always involves some great tragedy or they were bullied or something awful happened or a spider bite. I just had a really Ordinary, <laughs> non spider. I think I got a spider bite, but I didn't turn into Spider Man. Um, <laughs> You're still had a really waiting. Ordinary, lovely, safe, happy childhood <laughs> with no great trauma to impart. Yeah, I, I, which I, is great as well. It, like, Yeah, absolutely. You take it. But it wasn't till I think university and starting into the workforce that the feminist discussion really became something that I was really interested in. And I think it absolutely peaked for me when I was working in government in Canberra and I was working in the ministry when Julia Gillard was prime minister and just watching how she was treated and how people responded to her and how differently the world reacted to this woman leader compared to a man who'd held the job always beforehand. And I think that really stayed with me. Oh, that's Had-
1: so interesting that you hadn't, that that wasn't such a big part of your life before that because I would have assumed that like, you know, since you were four year, years old, you were like going to women's protests and like, you know, you're so knowledgeable on this subject that I just kind of felt like you came into the world like that.
2: Had- oh, that's very nice, but no, not, not at all. I mean, I, I, I'd always been interested in government and issues and policy. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Canberra and I think it's almost impossible to grow up in Canberra and be immune- from all Mm. that because everyone around you their job is related to government or their job is related to supporting people in the government so cutting their hair or making their food or whatever Uh, it happens to be yeah that makes sense the interest flows i think but the feminist stuff came yeah came later i suspect if you'd grabbed me at 17 and said are you a feminist i would have gone oh gross no oh yeah. that's probably so that funny
0: because we were chatting earlier about like that word feminist and how like when we were all younger it was something that we didn't identify as which is well
1: because it was like the bra burning i thought of like you know the 60s hairy the really underarms
0: 50s. like just yeah things that i guess like we didn't relate to and now it's like just turned into
1: something else well even still like one of the girls in the office was just saying that her brother last night was like Ugh, i hate feminists and she's like, it just what? means... Who? <laughs> I'm not going to rat them out on the <laughs> bugger. brother?
2: They're <laughs> I'll <laughs> tell you
1: later. But she was like, no, it just means equality. And I feel like there's this thing with like having the feminine aspect to it that people don't get that we're just like, we're just asking to be equal.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the things we need to be better at doing as feminists is having a conversation about feminism being good for men and I don't mean that in the let's go suck up to the blokes to get them on board with the theory though a little bit (laughs) um lack of equality hurts everyone Mm -hmm. inequality hurts both parties to this discussion so where there are those stereotypes around what women should be and what women should do there are the same stereotypes or at least to the same degree about men and what men should be and what men should do and the, the best example I've got of this is my own dad and watching him and his peers they are all sort of just turning 60 and starting to retire or think about retirement and grandchildren are starting to be born and so many of them I've seen them reflect I wish I'd had time with my own kids the way I've got time with my grandkids Mm -hmm. and I'm watching my dad lean into being a grandparent in a way he was never really expected to lean in as a parent because his job as a dad was to go and earn money to make sure that my sister and i were okay
0: yeah and
2: um, he didn't see his role as that hands-on parent and he missed out because yeah. of that and you know the fact that i think it's of the paid parental leave scheme less than two percent of people who've taken it up in australia are blokes like there's an expectation around what men should be and what men shouldn't be that also hurts them as well Well, yeah
0: so do you think it's like just as important of a conversation like when we're talking about like feminism and like you know expectations on females that we're also having that conversation in reverse
2: about males yeah I think we I think we do need to be having it I I don't want to over egg the situation but I look at male suicide rates being so high for example I think that's because we don't socialize boys and then they become adult men who struggle to talk about emotions and feelings and digest the world in a way that's healthy so I think men get to adulthood and when things don't work out the way they'd hoped or they're feeling depression or anxiety they're far less likely to seek help far less likely to talk to a friend and often that has really horrible you know Final consequences.
1: Well, it's funny because we were actually when we we're googling you earlier, we found an we article. We googled that, you. We googled you Ooh. a lot. Did you find bad stuff? No, 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 no. Only there good stuff. There is
2: no bad stuff. It's all well, right. I well, not for that, that, that we were. You really can totally hard. pay to get rid of the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <either. laughs> That's why you maybe you can, man, Right.
1: <laughs> um, so a week ago, I think it was, you wrote an article in the Sydney Morning Herald that was about your son and signing him up for ballet. Yeah, which we just loved, and like you talked about how like you know now it's impressive when a girl wants to be like a CEO or like in a high power position but then when boys kind of aspire to those more traditional female things we're not celebrating that which we'd never even thought about that kind of in reverse. Well and even
0: like the it was really interesting because the jobs that you listed like you know that were like a a stay-at-home dad or a hairdresser like inside of the two of us like we're just inclined to be like no because we're like we feel like we've been forced to be that so we're like no we're not going to be that but it is like like, no
1: that's like not a that's not good
0: enough what we should be
2: aspiring for yeah
0: exactly but it's so interesting because it's like yeah you can be anything you want to be
2: And I think it's because traditionally the jobs that men have done have been high status, that we say the things that men do with their time and get paid for, those are the important things, the hard-working things, the way that you become a breadwinner and earn money and look after your family, and they're the things to aspire to. So feminism meant that we had women entering the workforce in greater numbers and then women trying to push through into jobs that they hadn't traditionally held so when a little girl says i want to be ceo or i want to be prime minister or i want to be a banker we go look at her she's a go-getter she's ambitious that's awesome but if a little boy says oh i want to be a daddy or i want to be a hairdresser or i want to work in aged care we kind of go oh really Yeah, Um, and that's unusual because those jobs aren't high status and the reason they're not high status is because they're the jobs women have always done Mm. and generally women have always done them for either free or very little money Mm -hmm. yeah so how did your son react to doing ballet oh my god he's really good guys I think he might be gifted oh really I'm kidding totally <laughs> terrible <laughs> he's he plays with
0: hula hoops though right he, he does be very good so at that. they
2: did this um adorable little exercise where they got all these colored hula hoops out and my little boy goes for Carlton so he straight away insists he has to have the navy blue hula hoop and he won't <laughs> do it unless he has that hoop and then they played this like musical chairs type game with the hoops and you had to dance around and do the different moves except he wouldn't leave his hoop because he didn't want any of the other ones um no he was rubbish it was hysterical he did the entire class with his hands in his pockets of his tracksuit pants and did he like it he had so much fun and he's been practicing at home in between lessons he you know before dinner last night he's doing all these little jetés and like trying out different moves and it's a way for him to express himself and for me it's about giving him the opportunity to do lots of things yeah. things that are traditionally feminine and things that are traditionally masculine because the only way he gets to choose what he genuinely wants rather than what society or his mum tells him he wants is if he has a go at everything so my theory is try him out on lots of different things between age four and seven and then after that he can pick what he loves or what he's got an aptitude for, for yeah sure. I
0: love that and that's definitely something that like we I mean like we had both I would say like far off having children, but like something that we've always like seen in others and really commended that like, you know, just all the options, like why should we be telling someone how to live their life? Like just put it all out there and they can gravitate towards what they want, which is so cool. So then if you are looking at like today with um, Rafi going to ballet and things like that, like how do you feel like, where do you feel like we stand today with equality?
2: I think we've come... An awfully long way and i think we do a disservice to the women of the past who fought for us to be where we are today not to recognize that there have been huge advances when it comes to women's equality um, and there's been huge sacrifices made to get us to where we are i think when i think about today i worry that because some of the more obvious barriers to women's participation have been removed that people tend to go oh we're all sorted now Mm. and and because the barriers aren't as obvious as they used to be and and the distinction between what men do and what women do aren't as clear as they used to be it's almost harder to make the case because there's this convincing you have to go through you know you sit down with a guy and you say you make reference to the gender pay gap and he says ah no that's not a thing yeah Mm. and you're like well yeah it is Mm. And he says, yeah, but my name's John and I work with Jenny and we sit next to each other, we do the same job and we get paid the same so there's no pay gap, okay? And you think, well, there is. (laughs) I think a lot of women um, and men actually will be in that position and they know they're right but they're not quite sure how to argue it. Totally. Because because the challenge is way more complex now than – Jenny and John doing the same job and getting paid different rates, right? We've moved past the days where a job was advertised and there was a different rate for men and women, which was in my mother's lifetime. So not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And we've moved past that, but it means that articulating the problem, I think, is way harder for people. But that doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist.
0: Well, and it's funny that you say that because that's kind of exactly what we talked about when we were chatting about getting you on is that exact same thing of we feel so passionate about all of these things but like the way when we were around you and you could just like articulate it so well we like we're like oh she thinks everything we think but like she's being really convincing you know
2: like and <laughs> so we were, very like, kind it's my job uh, to be convincing yeah <laughs>
1: like I feel like we need like a, a whole library of Jamila links and then any conversation you have you just flick them the relevant Jamila links so here like Jamila's going to explain it for me
2: <laughs> we did a series for future women one of the websites that I write for called making the case which was literally how to win an argument on xyz oh that's amazing we'll have to go check that out yeah that's really cool so
1: give us the basics like what are the basic tools how do you kind of come at someone when they do kind of have a differing opinion because we were kind of chatting about that and being like it's so easy to just like go to anger or be like "Eh, you're an idiot you know like what do you kind of
0: yeah, how do you come with compassion? So, Because like, you know, we all know that I guess you're not going to get anyone on your side by just like spitting at them. Um, so how do you kind of make that argument in like a really great way that makes them see that maybe you are right?
2: I definitely think that I am not necessarily the best person to give that advice because I'm still <laughs> learning it myself, yeah. for sure. Because I definitely go to anger in a lot of circumstances. My husband will attest to that fact Um, I mean and that's just being human because it's easy to get frustrated yeah Yeah, right and when someone is coming at you and at you on this stuff and especially when you know you're right but you don't have the words or the facts to back yourself up in that moment Mm -hmm. and you can't press pause on the conversation and say give me 15 minutes to research and I will come back to you and that can be really hard and that's when we fall back on anger so I think having facts with you is really important I think having some basic understanding of these sorts of issues that come up again and again, like why the pay gap exists and having it in your head in a way that's easy to remember and easy to understand is really important. One of the things I do um, when I'm talking to women and giving speeches at public events is I often do five minutes on how to explain the gender pay gap with like a play school level of understanding. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Like using the metaphor of let's draw a house with <laughs> a glass ceiling, and to talk people through because you need ways to remember this stuff because we all forget it if it's not. You know, mm. it's my job to talk about this every day, and of course, it's in my head. You know, you two know your own business inside out and backwards because you're doing it every day. Yeah. If you weren't doing it every day, you would not remember it. Yeah. Um. So I think that's part of it for me. I always try really hard to disarm with a joke. I think a joke can often be really useful to show someone that you're not trying to make them feel small or make them look stupid, that you just disagree. And I think at a broader level, our society needs to get better at disagreeing, Mm. right? We do this thing and Twitter and social media don't help at all where if you disagree, it has to be a fight, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, social media to be, definitely has
1: kind of like yeah. escalated that.
2: And the, it, the digital press are the same, you know, you'll say something to someone, <laughs> I'll give you an example, right? When I was working for an online platform, I read an article by Jessica Rudd, who is Kevin Rudd's daughter, mm-hmm. about the nature of working in parliament house. And she criticized how people are recruited to work in those jobs. I really disagreed with her. And So I decided to write a column in response. Before I published that column, I gave her a phone call and said, by the way, I'm going to write this. I hope that's cool. I'm going to link to your article at the bottom, but I'm going to put my case to why I disagree with you. And she's like, yeah, great. No worries. And then I put it up. (laughs) She then wrote a response to my column and then we put another link in and she put links into mine. So it was this whole conversation back and forwards. And uh, the next day we read about it on news.com and the headline was catfight. Yeah, Uh, Kevin Rudd's daughter and former staff member because I used to work for Kevin in blah, blah, blah. Like... It wasn't a fight. Like we were joking on Twitter. Like I can't think of a nicer fight. Or we should do it more often. Like <laughs> yeah, like having a cup of tea. Yeah, like you were having constructive conversations and like
0: recognizing that you both had differing opinions, but that was okay.
2: Yeah, it's that call out culture of I have to shame you and everything with you has to everything about you has to be wrong because I disagree with you on something. Yeah, yeah. there's no one in the world I agree with on everything. Totally, so,
1: but I think that also kind of highlights this thing around women that like you know people love to pit women against each other and we're like you know always like I don't know we're we're all have been encouraged in a way to be really competitive with each other Um, and that's obviously changed over the last kind of five ten years but it's still this thing where like you know women kind of in the workplace particularly often are a little bit competitive
2: like where do you feel like that kind of comes in? I think that comes from the same place that all inequality comes from when it comes to gender and that's that scary word, patriarchy, that people don't like to use. Again, I, I'm big on the examples because that's how I understand the world. If you imagine that you're going for a job, for example, and so, so you're working in an organisation and you're looking to the top and you're thinking, one day I want to be in that boardroom. I want to be one of the 12 people sitting around the boardroom table. And you look up to the top, there's 12 seats at that boardroom and two of them are women. You tend to focus on them. And in your head, you don't go, I want one of those twelve seats around the boardroom table. You go, I gotta get me one of those woman spots. Yeah. You you straight away and, and, and you're not you're not doing it intentionally, you're doing it subconsciously because of the way women have been raised for generations, that we're taught, and it's true, that at the very top there aren't that many women. And so mm. you immediately see other women as your competitors for those top spots, rather than looking up to the top and going 12 seats, two are women. That's 10 more seats that we could get some women into. That is so true. Yeah, like, that's
0: fascinating. And it's that's, like they're it's trying to our fault we do that. It's
2: not our fault that we do that, but you're right. And another example I like to give is imagine you've had a baby and you've gone off on mat leave. You want to come back to work and you really want to come back, but you don't think you can do the job full-time. You can only come back part-time. So you ask your boss, could I come back? just three days a week and he says I'm really sorry this job could only be done full-time but I could offer you this other lower skilled less paying job Mm -hmm. at three days a week you go home and you're really angry (laughs) and you're like this is unfair I have worked hard I'm really good and my boss is being unfair now recreate the scenario with your boss being a woman and you kind of just hate her just a little bit more Do you know what I mean? You're a little bit more angry because there's part of you, there's this tiny piece of you that goes, come on, aren't we in this together? Like, can't you be more understanding? Now you make your boss a mother and she's a monster. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly you're like, hold on, we are, you've experienced exactly what I have. And the problem there is that we have a higher expectation of empathy from women bosses than we do from men. Now, we could either drop our expectations of women or as I would prefer, we could increase our expectations of empathy from men bosses. But we do treat women bosses and women in the workplace differently. Both women we see as on our level and above us. Totally. That's so fascinating. And this is actually a
1: problem that we found when we were first working in a co-working space around the corner from here in Richmond. um, And we had our first employee and we were so conscious that we didn't want to come off as bitches. You know, we we were so careful and we actually worked in the same space as my boyfriend who had his first couple of employees and they saw him as a legend. He's a hero. He was a legend. Edge. He'd look them up and down and be like, Oi, bro, you can't dress like that. And they'd be like, Okay, fine, I'll dress something like, else you know Like, like but oh my God,
0: if we had turned around to one of the people working for us and said like, oh, you can't dress like that. It'd be like, oh, she's such a bitch. Yeah, that's not okay. Yeah, yeah. But we never really, like, and yeah, I mean, it just goes back to like knowing these things and being able to articulate them because we it's something that we talked about between the two of us. So, you know, why why is that? Like, why do we feel Mm. this way? But we
2: never really came to anything concrete. I promise I won't get too nerdy, but there's this amazing study out of the States called the Howard versus Heidi study. And they gave a group of people the resume of a a real person, a highly successful entrepreneur named Heidi Rosen. And they said, would you think she would be good for a senior job in your company? They gave another group of people the same resume, but called Heidi Howard. (sighs) And then they repeated that experiment again and again and again and again. Now, all of the groups assessed the two people, same person, as equally competent for the job. Good news, because it's the same person. (laughs) But... Both groups, the groups consistently said that Howard was more likable. They were more likely to want to work for Howard. They thought he sounded like a good guy. And it's because people are more comfortable with men being in charge. And they Mm. assume men being in charge are going to be blokey mates, good fun to work with. Whereas there are still perceptions, really deeply held perceptions amongst women and men that women who are really successful, like the two of you, women who are bosses, women who are in charge of lots of people, aren't going to be very nice mm-hmm. so how do we change that that's a very big question <laughs> I, I think it's for, isn't it simple and <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's about I mean it, partly it's about self-reflection right it's about starting to analyze our own expectations and challenge our own inner voice and reconsider our own behavior and I say that to women and to men and um, I think that's part of it Um, And that's about how we think about ourselves as well as how we think about others and recognising that the thoughts in our head aren't just a product of who we are. They're put there by the society that we live in and that we've grown up in. So part of it's that self-challenging space and to push back against our own behaviours and our own instincts a little bit. And then I think it's a broader problem for society to look at from a government perspective from a business perspective that pushes towards equality because once you've achieved genuine equality those stereotypes start to fall away and they start to become less important and a woman who decides to become a hairdresser isn't becoming a hairdresser because she's a woman and she's not paid less because she's a woman she's doing the job because she's good at it and she loves it it. and a bloke who does it isn't kind of making himself small or not being ambitious enough he's doing something he loves. Yeah. So- in terms of like changing those thought processes, I've actually
1: um been thinking about it lately. I went on this wellness retreat recently and like, I was like, you know, meeting all these different people and I found myself like someone will be there trying to like help me, take me through this like session of like meditation or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, she has really weird this or whatever. And I was like, why am I judging this person? Like this person's here to help me. Like, why do I have these judgments in my head? And I've almost like found this way to just like think about my thoughts. Um, it's, called yeah, it's called being mindful. Yeah, it is <laughs> called being mindful. I'm like, if only that was pomatical. a word thinking about your thoughts. Yeah, being mindful. But I feel like that makes it less relatable than when I say it, thinking about your thoughts. Just like step back a little bit and, and notice your thoughts and like, yeah, like observing them and being like, why am I making this judgment rather than yeah. just like letting that judgment
2: be reality. And mm. I, think, I think that's a really good point, partly because there's two thoughts happening there, right? The first thought is the one you have and the second is the one you act on right? So if your first thought is Ooh, weird hair or something, and mm-hmm. um, if you're then rude or you change your behavior or you go to your friend and say, Oh my God, she's got really weird hair. Or you take action on that thought. That's the problematic behavior. Yeah. Having the thought, I mean, we've, we've all, we're all prone to bad thoughts occasionally and stereotypes and the way we're raised means that we will sometimes think prejudiced things I don't think you need to attack yourself for that it's when you allow those thoughts to become actions and that's i think where we need to challenge
1: ourselves a bit more you're so right and like going and speaking about it with your girls is something where like it's so easily gets bitchy if i'm like oh did you notice this and then she'll build on it by saying oh yeah and did you see this and like you know we're, we're good people but somehow the conversations just turn into like yeah genuinely being bitchy and so you're right if you kind of have that thought let it pass and you
2: don't take action on it then it doesn't become that yeah absolutely and recognizing why you have the thought so the harvard business review online does these tests you can take them for free it's actually fascinating how racist are you how (sighs) sexist are you and these tests I am 67% it? sexist I What? Quite sexist liter- against men? Against women Quite what? literally For a then living And maybe they need A relook at their <laughs> test but, but no it, it. I don't think they do Because it's true Yeah they because got to like The I've, root of like I've These societal
1: norms That you kind of exactly, Deeply believe Even exactly. though you're not Actually yeah. I've, grown, them on the I've grown
2: up in the same world As everybody else has Of course I'm impacted by it mm-hmm. Of course I am You're not immune from it and so I don't think it's about beating yourself up for having the thought in the first place. It's about saying, what am I going to do to make sure I don't take action based on that thought? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was less racist than I was sexist. So that oh, plays okay, right. that's good. That's excellent. Um, I
0: want to take that test. That sounds yes, great. Right. It's a little bit confronting. <laughs> well, I guess I'd love to talk about feminism more because um, we actually, what we love to do is we often like we'll write the interviews and then because the girls that work in our office there a lot of them are quite a lot younger than us and then we'll just like put it to them be like what would you love to hear about and like they oh cool yeah it's really really cool so when we were chatting in the office like something that they were really interested in is like the way the world is moving towards like gender fluidity and things Mm. like that and like how that impacts
2: feminism The gender fluidity question is such a good one. And when we talk about the entrenched way we think about things and the entrenched way we talk about things, it's something I'm guilty of and learning to move my language to a place that's more inclusive of recognising there are lots of genders um, and that people won't necessarily have the same gender throughout their whole lives. But I think oppression of women and discrimination against women applies to those who are born with scientifically biologically considered female body parts and those who live as women um, I think so it kind of goes across both I think it still applies and I think there are definitely different and intersectional perhaps challenges that women face if you haven't been born female um, I would argue generally greater challenges and mm. incredibly, hurtful discrimination is what most people will experience as well as the mental and emotional toll of feeling confused often as a kid um, and being told what you are is wrong for a lot of your life i i can't even wrap my head around how hard that would be as an adult mm. to start to adjust in that space but i actually think gender fluidity and moving out of those binaries will be really good for feminism. I think that's more likely to move us towards equality. And I speak in schools occasionally, and when I do that, oh my god, teenagers are so woke <laughs> these no, days. They like, are. Ah, woke. And I get I know. you it's get these crazy. questions I would never get from adults, and yeah. you just like hand it all
1: over, guys. You can just be in charge. Oh my god, totally. And that's why I feel like like we actually judged um, this school group recently and they had to like pitch business ideas to us and one of them pitched this like you know non-gender clothing label yeah right um and they were just like yeah obviously like this is something we need and so that's kind of why we were chatting about you know in their generation like I don't even feel like they'll see gender you know it's just kind of like you know do whatever you want do whatever makes you happy wear whatever clothing makes you happy who cares if you're a guy or a girl.
2: Yep. Sleep with whoever whoever you want, do yep. whatever you want, be whoever you want, Totally. whatever you want. You and know, I think that's right.
1: It's so good and you know there's moments where you're like your parents feel like so ancient um and you're and out of touch and you're like mm, I'm never going to be like that. But then when you speak to young people you're like oh my God, I'm so out of touch. Yeah. 100%.
0: But it could also like be a cool evolution of the movement, I guess, you know, like it's existed to a certain point and like served a purpose to get us to this point. And then the ne- the conversation could kind of change yeah, more to be around true. like equality and just, I guess like inclusivity as well.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, feminism is the simple idea that equality between the genders is something we should strive for. And I think that's already changing to equality of all genders as Mm. opposed to suggesting there are only two.
0: Yeah, well, and I guess like around that kind of the word feminist and someone like not necessarily, like someone who at their core believes in equality, but says, oh, I'm not a feminist. um, Maybe it's just like a change of like belief in what that word means.
2: Yeah, and look, I'm not gonna die in a ditch over the word. Like if you're bothered by the word, look, I, I don't really care as long as you're doing good things. Yeah, I'm much more interested in women being paid properly um, than I am in dying over the word. You know what I mean? My loyalty is to the cause. not Yeah, to the, for yeah. sure.
1: That's a really good point. So if someone listening does consider themselves a feminist or they just believe in equality, like man or woman, and, you know, I feel like there's something that everyone's kind of doing at the moment, which is, you know, like – We're having these conversations, might do a post on Instagram on International Women's Day. What else can they be doing just as an individual to kind of like drive this cause further?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. Um, I think the first thing we can do is talk about how we raise boys and girls. And I don't mean that just as parents. Um, Everyone has children in their lives, whether or not they're their own children. And often children are more likely to look up to someone that, isn't their parent and <laughs> um, so I think perhaps there's even greater influence to be had there I think we need to try and free ourselves from those gender stereotypes when we're talking to kids to really give children the space to be who they are uh, and that means celebrating them for whatever they choose to do and helping open up pathways for them to do and try different things that go beyond what society expects. And that's of them. hard.
1: Like even like in the language when, you know, like you're talking to like a little boy, you're like, Oh, you're such a tough boy. You yeah. know, like and we say the word boy to boys a lot the word girl even, to girl slot. Like-
0: dogs like that's where I catch myself the most being like the Same. way that I describe my boy dog like and the adjectives I use towards him compared to how I call my girl dog it's yeah, like, like she's such a
1: pretty girl exactly
0: like it's so ingrained in me that I'm just like because when you're talking to a dog I guess like you're not noticing those things you're not like
1: having yeah. to filter you don't have yourself to filter, yeah
0: and that's when it comes out the most in me and i'm like oh what
1: do i say? i know i actually tell panther he's a beautiful pretty boy all the time for that <laughs> reason because i'm like i'm conscious of it like he's beautiful yeah. he's pretty like he can envy those things um something else that i was being taught about actually on this wellness retreat um as well recently was talking about periods yeah uh, and like how women have like i started googling mm, it because i just like i never even thought about it and i've always been a bit shameful about my period you know like you, you put your pad in your pocket really like secretively and like you just don't really talk about it openly in front of men and then when I was like looking up about it it was like you know it actually used to be that this time like you know in tribal times like that a woman's period would be celebrated and it would be a time for women to come together and it was like a really powerful thing and the way it's kind of like you're synced with the moon and now in this bloody patriarchy. It's shameful and dirty. And we're like, and we're hormonal and bitchy during that time, you know, rather than celebrate it. It's like, you know, we should be locked away somewhere. Like nobody wants to see a period, hide it, you know? And I'd never even thought about that before. And just how much that is just become such so internalized in all of us that this is something to be shameful about
2: and there are there are real ramifications around that you know there's the the societal day-to-day stuff the fact that my husband the first time in his life had ever walked down the sanitary items aisle was after I gave birth and couldn't Go, physically get up and go to the chemist or woolworths and i remember he came home with like 25 different things because he was like <laughs> i didn't know what to buy so i bought everything um you know it's this giant panic but the fact that i'd never talked to him about that i'd never put it on a shopping list for mm. him to go and buy like how why like yeah. i put everything else there for him to do um but there are serious ramifications i um we talk about endometriosis and women's pain not being valued there are a lot of medical conditions that aren't unusual that are linked to period pain and periods that women have not talked about forever Mm. and that male scientists haven't been interested in researching most scientific research experiments still exclude female rats from the process and they just experiment on male rats because the female test subjects gives them more erratic results often because of hormones so they just don't Use them, even crash test dummies. I've heard like that if we it crash our cars, the size of a man. Yeah, yeah. really. So yeah, they use the so they're not as safe. Man. Yeah, they're
1: not as safe for women. The way a lot of the
2: houses are designed, the way desks are designed, all all based on the average male figure, and the way buildings are heated. One of the reasons women often feel cold mm-hmm. is because the building is heated to suit the body temperature internally of a bloke, not which, of a woman. So which you is feel funny because can you feel like our, our I mean, it's we have so to turn warm. the heating up It's off exactly yeah, it's always awesome. like 24 so degrees because <laughs> i'm always cold it's yeah. lovely here 100 but with the period stuff we've got to get better at talking about that and you know I, I tend not to talk about my own health stuff but i got very sick a couple of years ago and um have a recurrent brain tumor which they found the only reason they found it was because i skipped a period that was the single and only symptom i had your period is actually a symbol of your broader health and well-being and often Changes to it or problems with it are reflective of something really serious going on in your body. For like sure, a lot yeah. of women will skip a period if they're underweight or if they're really stressed, um, or if they're not sleeping properly. It's actually a really good sign of sort of where you're at. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when
1: I was, um, when I was finding that, like, I spent the week in the countryside, my period came early, like a week early for the first time in so long, and it was. I looked up the day and it was a full moon mm. that day. So it's really powerful. like it's this really like it's super powerful. I yep. told you when I got back from Bali,
0: I actually don't get my period because I have implanon. Um, and when I got fr- back from Bali, like I had just like had come off three weeks of like really getting in touch with myself. Full moon
1: got my period that day.
2: It was wow. bizarre. And
1: then you got your period. and on then full I had the same thing happen to me. And mm. I feel like it's this thing where we're like we need to be having more kind of discussions about this stuff with women, but also with men. Yes, 100%. Well,
0: you've given us a lot to think about, but I feel like it feels like we should end on a note where it's like the information is a little bit overwhelming and like can be crippling at times. So I guess like going back to like some action points, like some things that we can kind of like catch ourselves and start to introduce in our lives, like is there anything that we can a note like that that we can end on?
1: Should we be like (laughs) doing a bit more research so that we have these kind of like facts to whip out when we get into these conversations? Sure, if you
2: feel like it. But also not everyone has to be a great crusader for feminism. I think some simple things you can do is think about how you behave and how that affects the children in your life and the example that it sets for them. Next time you're at work and something happens with a woman colleague or a woman boss and you feel really angry and like you've been hard done by – just check yourself and say am I responding more harshly because she's a woman Mm. try really hard when you're thinking about who your competitors are whether it's at work or in any other facet of your life to say you shouldn't be my competitor more just because you're a woman and really force yourself to see other blokes as competition as well you're all on the same playing field and And then I think one of the great things you can do if you want more information in this space, if you're more interested in it, if you want that factual stuff, is just follow a bunch of rad women on Instagram or Twitter. Mm. Go seek out those feminist voices, particularly feminist voices who don't get the coverage they deserve, which is usually lesbian women or women of colour. Go find them and follow them and you'll learn so much just by scrolling Facebook and Insta. Do you have any favourites? so many it's we really hard. it's really hard for me um there is an amazing podcast called call your girlfriend out of the u.s uh, the two chicks who host that are both absolutely fabulous and fascinating and excellent i love deborah francis white who is australian born but lives in the uk and hosts the guilty feminist podcast and in terms of who i love reading clementine ford always makes me feel furious at the world but also braver and a little bit stronger yasmin abdul majid is fabulous to follow and to read um i really like jane gilmore i love van Batham at the guardian see i need to stop now no there that's are, okay there I was, are a lot of that women was a really I good, love. yeah i was
1: thinking we should like put all <laughs> of like those we'll in the show in notes yeah, yeah yeah
2: good one okay um
1: and obviously they should go follow you as well because you are a, one sure. of those powerful female voices and
0: also like super funny and relatable like I love all your content because like it's not super dry or anything like you're also just like funny and human about it
2: good and that's the thing I think sometimes we make feminism so academic and unreachable and a bit scary Mm. and um like you don't have to be the perfect feminist like you're allowed to screw up sometimes you know I admit that I love watching The Bachelor like that is I really genuinely enjoy it I really like watching America's Next Top Model my favorite parts of America's Next Top Model is when they tell these really really beautiful girls why they're not beautiful enough and I think <laughs> that is awful that <laughs> yeah. is the most unfeminist behavior there is oh my god we kind of
1: do yeah we watch Real Housewives like all of them Pick a, pick a franchise we watch every single one and our boyfriends are always like you are smart women how are you Why sitting out watching, watching these women fight with each other and we're like it's just so damn good
2: because sometimes you need a break yeah and and sometimes pleasure. you want to turn it off and that's okay mm-hmm. um and I don't think you have to be perfection all the time and you're allowed to have you know your dessert and your chocolate topping and your stupid stuff as well as your greens Totally. I love that. That's a great note to end on. Good um, advice. So, we always end on some quick fires.
0: So, should we just throw them at you? Um, no, I want the quick fires really slowly. <laughs> we <laughs> often get told that our quick there? fires aren't quick enough, but no, no, yeah, that's, that's all right. True.
1: I'm
2: ready.
0: Okay. Are there any people you really admire that you've had the
2: opportunity to meet? Oh, yes. I have met lots of people that I really admire. Um, can I tell, oh, I'll tell you one really sweet story? Claire Bowditch, who is a singer, was one of my favorite singers when I was a kid, when I was about 17, 18. I adored her. I had all her albums, listened to her constantly. She got me through many very devastating, life-affecting breakups. And she's now my best friend. <gasps> no. Which is cool. That's right? the best story so ever. Cool. So I, was just, <laughs> I thought amazing. you were going to say you met her,
1: but now she's your best friend? Yeah. That's amazing. a great story. That's so good. Is she creeped out by you a little bit? Like how much you love her? You're, I kind of hit it. Oh, I, actually, I actually That's only told her about it. two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, people. Good tact. If you want to befriend a celebrity, don't tell them how
2: much you yeah, love them. Just act cool and be like, oh, really? You sing? Really <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want an aria? Wow. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> also, we saw a picture of you with Sophia Amoruso. That must
1: have been really cool. That was
2: very cool. She, um, I actually met her on the day her company went under no no which we didn't know at the time came out in the press like the day or two after and she was really reserved and quite distracted and i remember thinking "Well, that's a bit rude and then i read that Mm. and went oh wow i can't believe she even showed up like that was that was impressive that was really impressive when you're going through hell to stick to your engagements to do the work i was like okay props to you that's Mm -hmm. a
1: lot well and now she's just like built another awesome company so
2: yeah just build another one when one breaks just casually Um, If you were in Harry Potter, what house would you be in? I would be in Ravenclaw. Oh, Oh, I see that. I'd love to be in Gryffindor, but I'm not very brave. (laughs) Have you done the tests online? I haven't. I'm definitely a Ravenclaw. Okay. it's I will always wish to be Gryffindor, but I'm just (laughs) not, I'm not a brave person. I'm Hufflepuff. I
1: think you are pretty brave just to throw that out there. Thank you.
2: Hufflepuff are the cool house now. Hufflepuff, who were the losers through the series. They're the cool social justice house now. Excellent
1: um well we kind of touched on this already but I guess do you have any others favorite tv show
2: oh yeah um my favorite tv show of all time is the west wing which is really really dorky is that like a political like house of cards it's an old school one it's pre-house of cards okay is Is that
1: that is that what working in politics is like, like these TV shows? The West shows. Wing? Yeah. No. No.
2: <laughs> the West Wing is like a happy, beautiful, aspirational version. Okay. House, House of, Cards of Cards is like accurate? an evil, messed up version. The most is accurate- Is it somewhere in between? Is, no, the most accurate is probably a show, an Australian show called Hollow Men, which is a satire where everyone is really, really stupid. That's probably-, <laughs> that's, probably that's amazing. <laughs> stupid and shameless. But my, um, my favorite TV show more recently has been The Americans which Ah. I binged all six or so seasons of. And it's just, I think it's the best thing ever made, but it's like, We are living in the golden age of television. People will look back on us now and say the same way people look at the 60s and 70s and go, that's when music was just incomparable. We are are living in the television era. That is so true. Everything's good. I feel so guilty that like all of
1: our conversations, like you can always find common ground with someone now because you're just like, what shows do you like? And then you like talk Mm -hmm. through all the shows you've both watched until you find one. And I feel guilty about that because I'm like, why are we spending all our time on television? But you are right. Um, and the last one, which I also feel like we touched on, which is funny.
0: What's the least traditionally female thing you do? Least traditionally.
2: marks. I have started kickboxing, which is very not me. Um, <laughs> but I've started doing this thing called Nine Round, which is oh, a, a yeah. bit like an F45, like mm-hmm. circuit okay. style thing that's all this kickboxing. I really like it. Mm. And I felt extremely angry last week when Boris Johnson became the prime minister in the uk and i I felt really good after doing some punching perfect the other night my husband didn't get home on time and so i was booked in and uh but i had my little boy so i just took him with me and i did what i never do and i just shoved him in front of an iphone to watch something and um at the end of it he just looks at me and goes "Mummy, you are not allowed to hit people Uh i was like "Mm -hmm, true
1: (laughs) that is so cute Okay, cool. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. It was so great to chat to you. So that was the incredible Jamila Rizvi. Did we tell you she was amazing or what? I just love the way she illustrates a point by telling a story. You know, it makes it completely relatable. And I think she has this gift where she explains a really complicated concept in a way that we can all completely understand it 100%. Like everything she says, I'm like,
0: yeah, I think that too. Totally. Um so we hope you love this episode. If you did, there are a few things you could do to help us spread the love and the word. Leave us a review, share the episode with a friend or snap a pic of you listening and share it on Insta stories. We would love to see you listening and also if
1: you have any feedback Please DM us on Insta at How to Live. Mm, my favorite is when somebody shares a photo of them listening um, to the podcast. I just love seeing that on Insta. I know, like it's it gets cool. me so excited. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're in that person's ears while they're seeing that view. So cool. So next week on the podcast, we have two of the amazing co founders of the massively loved skincare brand, Frank Body. It's Bree Johnson and Jess Hatsis. Ah! So excited for this. They open up completely and share the secrets to creating an engaging brand with so many loyal customers. Uh, It's a great one. I know we say this every time because they are all great, but this one is just so freaking amazing. Here's a
2: little snippet. We didn't have a huge budget when we started, Frank or Willow, but what we did spend, we spent on the things that we couldn't do ourselves. And it's really easy to downplay things like brand and copywriting because you're like, I am. exist i can write i'm an adult doesn't mean you can write like a copywriter
0: have a great week stephanie will be meditating in byron
2: Mm, i sure will come Mm. join me if you
0: want very jealous i'll be here though don't worry so don't be jealous of me um enjoy your weeks and we'll see you next monday see you then